Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It was so interesting. Last half hour, Pastor David Miles brought up this line. He said, food is relational. And I thought, huh, nice segue, David, into our full hour we have with Dr. Rona Epstein. Uh, She got her doctorate in clinical psychology in 2009, and she's written a number of books. One's called Food Triggers, one's called Satisfied, and her latest is The Satisfied Workbook, and it is filled with wonderful, encouraging uh, stuff. We're going to talk about that with her today. She's on our studio line. Rona, welcome. Well, hello. It's nice to be here with you. So glad to have you. I got so many things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the way we've eaten during COVID. I want to talk to you about the way it has uh, made food addictions worse. But I also just want to start, if you wouldn't mind, because we have tons of new listeners, just let the um, my listeners hear your story, which started at 17, battling kind of binge eating and bulimia. Well, actually, 17 is when I started my recovery. Okay. So, um, yeah, so thanks. Um, I'll try to keep this brief because uh, my story could take up a whole hour <laughs> so easily. Um, but, yeah, so I probably had a problem with food from, the, from early in life. Somehow or another, I got away with being allowed to binge out on sugar when I was a really little kid. And I got, uh, if you could have a substance abuse problem when you're like four or five, I, I had one, but my, my substance was candy and cookies and Pop-Tarts and Captain Crunch and Oreos and donuts and, uh, you know, all the really sugary sugar. So ice cream, whatever was the sweetest to be, I was, um, I was into it and I was, definitely going overboard and I was a little crazy. So, you know, when you look at uh, problems with addictive behavior, usually it's progressive. So I um, was like, not like normal kids. I mean, most kids are like, really like sweets, but I was a little extra and I was hiding and sneaking and definitely going overboard. And then at some point I got to the place where I wouldn't even eat like anything normal. So I just lived on sugar and white flour pretty much all through my childhood. And then um, by the time I got into my teens, when dieting started, and I got worried a little bit about my weight, and between 12 and 17 was when I started rolling down a steep hill from being a kid with a little extra obsession with cookies and cake to like a full-blown eating disorder. So that's when uh, I started doing diet pills and uh, trying to curb my appetite by uh, doing, you know, really a lot of crazy diets. And um, I would lose and gain. And and how dieting often goes, you lose a little and then you gain back more. And um, it was like a vicious cycle. Uh, I didn't understand the things I understand today. I learned so much in my recovery um, that I didn't understand the addictiveness of sugar. I didn't understand that I was trying to control um, 
an addictive substance, which today I believe sugar is addictive. The, the research says it's eight times more addictive than cocaine. But of course, I didn't know that. So um, when, you know, trying to control it, try to eat small portions or eat in in moderation, like everybody tells you, and I couldn't do that. So I just ate half gallons of ice cream and then purged and um, took amphetamines and tried to starve myself. Um, so for, for me, it was a lot of either starving or binging and then a lot of shame and guilt and, and um and, you know, ultimately at the end, before I got help at such a young age, 17, which is really young for somebody who, you know, to seek help on their own, I, I was completely devastated by every day waking up swearing off, like, I'm done. I am so going to, today I'm going to follow my diet and today I'm going to really do it. And then you know, waking up and not being able to uh, you know, try to follow the stupid diet that I would be on and then the day would get towards afternoon and I'd, I'd start obsessing about the junk and then before you know it I was eat, binging again and then waking up devastated and I just wanted to die so I'm really giving the short version but mm-hmm. I mean it was, it was devastating I was crushed I, I my self-esteem was crushed I, my head was crazy I mean I was obsessed all the time all I could think about all the time was how what I looked like I thought I was fat I thought I was ugly I thought everybody else could see um, how awful but I thought I was way fatter than I was uh, and so I saw you know this moose in the mirror I really wasn't nearly as bad as uh, now when I look at pictures I wasn't as fat as I thought that I was but I really thought I was fat and and then uh, and you know but I hated myself and and I was um, truly, truly just completely out of control with no hope for changing. And so um, that's where I was when I when I ended up getting help. And then, um, you know, at 17, I ended up um, finding help after um, a lot of uh, a lot of wrong roads. Um, you know, all the diets didn't work. A lot of failed attempts at trying to fix the problem. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to die. I wanted to, I wanted to commit mm. suicide cause I thought that'd be the only wow. way to get out of it. So, um, but instead I got help and then found, came to the Lord and, and, uh, surrendered my life to the Lord and, and, uh, with the help of a support group and a lot of therapy and, uh, freedom, complete freedom. I, I got to get off of sugar because I'm addicted to it. It's like mm-hmm. my heroin. Mm-hmm. So I got to get off of it and, and do a lot of things to recover. So I'm, I'm you know, probably give, I'll take a break and let you ask me questions, but pretty much that's the very short uh, version of my story. Yeah. A couple things, Rowan, I want to first ask, did you, uh, when you, at 17, you got help. What was the first step you, you took to get help? Well, I mean, uh, I, I went, I mean, I had you know, 17 years old back then. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Actually, 40 years. It's not, I don't mind telling you. It was 40 years ago. I um, probably, I know it had to be a miracle that I did this because I really was hopeless. So when I look at what happened, I know, I know it had to be like a divine yeah. appointment, but I, I met somebody who had had a transformation and 
they told me about this recovery uh, support group that they went to and uh, where it was. And uh, somehow or another, even though I felt like dying would be the only solution or moving to a country where they didn't care if you were fat, that was the other solution. Um, but I somehow or another, I went to this place and they were, they were all admitting that it wasn't like a diet club. It was like a place where people told the truth wow. about their um, sick behavior with food. And that was completely different. It was like nobody put you on a scale. Nobody um, shamed you or, you know, it was like not no rah-rah thing. It was like the real deal. People were just saying, hey, you know, I was I was crazy. I lost control. And now I'm free. And, and it was like a whole spiritual thing. It was totally different. But yeah, I had to I had to go and and sit there in the back of the room in my dark, depressed state and and just be there. Mm-hmm. So just just show up and be there. Ronan, can we admit that this is a hard topic? Because if your goal was to, say, give up smoking and you would go a full day without smoking, you'd go, okay, there's one day. Now, hopefully I can do the same tomorrow. But when it comes to food addictions, despite the fact you have to eat every day to live. And so the the, the temptation to get derailed seems to be like really high. Yeah, well, you're right, and uh, it took it took me a long time to understand um, what is the difference between um, food that I can eat that is nourishing for my body, and that I can eat plenty of and enjoy, and what's like my drug foods. Mm-hmm. And so there really is for me, it's a real clear. I mean, there's no way like. Um, Oreos with double stuff for, is cocaine for me. And um, there's a million foods that I can eat that I can eat very cleanly and enjoy and I have no problem with. Um, and so once I understood that, like, where the lines were, it's just an, like I know where I have to stay away. And so it's it, there really is a giant difference between what's food and what's um, addictive food. Mm-hmm. Rona, let me take a little break because I do want to get into your new book called The Satisfied Workbook, A Spiritual mm-hmm. Guide to Recovery and Food Freedom. My guest is Dr. Rona Epstein. And I also want to open up uh, to let listeners know if you've got a question for Rona, you can send me that over by text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933- Two four eight four. Dr. Rona Epstein is my guest. We'll be right back. is my guest. We're talking about food addictions. She writes very um, honestly about her struggle, and she's written several books. And this book that we're talking about today uh, the is a companion to her book called Satisfied, A 90-Day Spiritual Journey Toward Food Freedom. And you've also come out with a workbook for it. And as I look through this 90-day 
journey, Rona. You've got so many wonderful, intriguing questions and entries, and you've done such an amazing job of laying this out. I mean, section one, help, I'm stuck. Uh, Let's begin by being honest. Day two, yes, I'm full of despair. Three, uh, it's okay to say, I don't know. Day four, am I addicted to sugar? I mean, you just, you uh, really drill down and ask some very, very honest questions. And I know that's extremely helpful uh, wherever people are in this uh, journey. Yes. Well, that's um, Satisfied was really written for, to help people get up to kind of get up to bat. Uh, People who are in that, uh, what we call pre-contemplative stage where they're struggling to make a decision to make a change where a lot of times people just know they should get help or they know they need to do something, but they're not really quite ready. And it sort of softens your heart towards change, um, helps you kind of get yourself positioned with God in the right place to surrender this area over. Mm-hmm. So when we're having some of these initial steps, and you, if you've struggled with food addiction or you've got some habits that you need to change, uh, some of the initial steps we can take, Arona, is just to flat out say, look, at, I am, I've got some despair over this. I've been struggling with this for a long time. Yes, I've got some choices I make that are not good for me. And they're also causing health issues. Uh, this gets to be a spiraling out of control quickly, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it can. And the, well, sometimes I think the problem with food is that it can actually, well, can happen quickly, but it also can happen really slowly, <laughs> which is maybe one of the reasons why it hap- uh, why it doesn't feel quite the same as like somebody who's a cocaine addict who has like such dramatic uh, consequences. Um, people, it's they just slowly start losing their lives especially the obese compulsive overeaters uh, I work with people who are I like somebody I saw today like 350 360 pounds and sitting on the couch and not moving and um, that happened very slowly and I, I don't think you realize that you're losing your life until you literally can't move down mm. the hall to go to the bathroom well and the struggle is always to put one foot in front of the other, isn't it? One step at a time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it can be a pretty depressing cycle of one failed diet after another. Yeah, and I, and I, do, I think that's really one of the most important keys is getting that. If you can get that concept of one day at a time down, your life will change because that's, I think the hopelessness comes from this feeling like I have so, it's too hard, it's too impossible, I can't do it, especially if somebody's really got a lot of weight to lose and they, like, they're 250, 300, 400 pounds, or, or even if they're, you know, they're just, some people are super upset over their 10, 15 pounds and they want to kill themselves over that. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have, you know, very dramatic reactions to weight issues. Um, but it's not just weight. It's also just knowing that you can't get it under control and seeing how you keep falling on your face and realizing, like, I can't do it. But when you get that one day at a time idea going, and you realize, I, I can for one day. With God's help, I can do something for one day I can't do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing transformation concept if a person could just stop thinking i can't imagine people look at me and they say i could never do what you do i can never live without those things for the rest of my life I'm like, i never think of it like that you don't have you can't think of it like the rest of your life 
you just do one day. Right. So how important is it to have a plan, a food plan? Well, for people, this is an interesting subject because in eating disorders recovery, um, mindfulness uh, approaches are more common. And with food addiction recovery, it's highly recommended to have a food plan and have a structured way of eating. It's, it's a way of kind of having food in its right place. So you kind of, your food becomes like a routine that you know what you're doing with food. So it's not complicated. You kind of simplify your relationship with food. So it's very structured and you know, like I eat um, this composition of proteins, vegetables, fruits, and fats, and, um, you know, whatever, you know, your plan is. So you have a, some people might eat three meals, some people might eat three meals and two snacks or three meals and one snack, but it's getting used to eating in a routine way so that food is not being used as a drug for numbing or escape or um, celebration or grief and loss. You know, you're just eating your food in the same way so that whatever's going on in your life is not interfering with what you're doing with your food. It's just two separate things. I eat my food, my meals, I eat my meals this regular way so that if I'm stressed, I still eat my meals the same way. If somebody dies, I still eat my meals the same way. And the meals just start become like sort of an anchor for your recovery, just like this is just something I always do. And that way the food is just out of the way. It's a routine and then, you know, your emotions – they're not dragging you into into lapses. Mm-hmm. It's not an excuse because you just don't. You know, if you're sad, then you have to you have to find another solution for managing your sadness or your anger, irritability, all those other things that people eat over. But Rona, if you want to have healthy boundaries around dinner, you need to have a plan. Because if you just say I'll stop on the way home, then you could get any number of things, which could end up not being good. Exactly. So if you have like, you know, if I, I know, I mean, I've had a plan of eating for years and years. So, I mean, it doesn't matter to me like exactly what vegetables or protein or starches or fats that I put in, but I know I'm going to have, I'm going to have vegetables and, and a healthy protein and a healthy grain and, and a fat. And that's my dinner. And I've got to find that. And I've got to make sure that it doesn't have sugar. And I, you know, it's super, very easy. It's just like a puzzle. You just have to fit the pieces into. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read a little bit of an of an uh, entry from your journal, your um, your book. We're on day one. I figured this is a good place to start. And you say, uh, let's start with a passage from Scripture. This is Romans 7:15. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Paul knows what he's saying there. And you just say, anyone who struggles with an addiction can identify with thoughts like, what is wrong with me? I should know better. Why can't I just stop overeating? I remember saying these words to myself each day. It is comforting to discover the same feelings in the Bible from a faithful man of God like us. Paul was keenly aware of his own internal battle and didn't understand why he couldn't just do what is right either. But in this scripture, Paul is also modeling the type of ruthless honesty that is a necessary starting point for change. It is isn't easy to come to terms with the reality that everything you've tried has failed, that it is the very place where God can begin working in your life. If you want to take your first step 
toward healing, you must begin with the admission that your way is simply not working. It's time to accept that you need help. Nicely done. Hmm. Yeah, that, I think that that says it all. <laughs> Paul says it way better than I could, but oh, that's why I make sure we put lots of Scripture because the Scripture says it all. And my books are packed with Scripture. Yeah, which I love. But when it comes mm-hmm. to self-medicating, food is the most acceptable thing to reach for. Yes, it is. As one of my clients says, it's the good girl's addiction. Say more about that. Well, you know, I do think it's true, and actually it's really challenging um, when people own up to having a food addiction. It's really hard in the church world because that's something that people are, it's almost like there's a bunch of pushers. They don't even realize it Hmm. everywhere, every church event, even people who are going to celebrate recovery, the, they seem to have parties with food and, and the, there's no sort of awareness that people with food issues might not be able to eat the pizza because pizza is one of the most addictive foods. And it's, it's something a lot of people can't handle, but that's like something that people aren't aware of. And then people get upset if you don't want to join in. And if you bring your own food, that's really challenging. But if a person's trying to be on a healthy food plan, it takes a lot of, I think, courage and, commitment to not let yourself be pushed by uh, worries about what people think of you. If you have to do your own thing, it's like understanding, like my friends who have a peanut allergy, like it's life and death. Mm -hmm. So you've got to do what you've got to do regardless of what other people think. But I mean, in the church world, it's not really, it's a place where people in, you know, just, it's almost acceptable. There's people all over the place who are would never even you don't ever hear people people condemn other addictive behaviors. People condemn all kinds of addictive behaviors. But it seems like gluttony is one of those things that you just skip over in the Bible. And we just let it go. We don't we don't really we don't address it. And I, I'm not trying to call it a sin because I actually do believe that people don't understand it. I'm not saying it's not a sin. I think it's a sin if you understand it and you don't treat it. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a sin if you understand that you have, like, I don't believe it's God's will for us to be out of control. Um, But but I think the sickness is that we don't understand how addictive food is. We've been, we've all been given this stuff since we were so young. And it's, it's, if you have a brain wiring and uh, towards this, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. It's nobody's fault. But if you, you, so you have to understand, most people don't understand it. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. Uh, Rona, let me take a little break. If you have a question for Dr. Rona Epstein, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Got some good questions coming in. We'll address those after the break. Be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon. 
So glad to have Dr. Rona Epstein on. She is a clinical psychologist. She's written a number of books. Food Triggers is one, and the other one that she came out with is called Satisfied, a 90-day spiritual journey toward food freedom. She also has a workbook out that accompanies that book, and it's a wonderful book. Um, Rona, we were just talking during the break how relational food is, and, and when you are in situations where it's really hard to make choices that are going to be best serving you, it does get very, very challenging for sure. Yes, it can. That's where a lot of times temptation can really be. Uh, it's really hard, especially to stand up for yourself. People have to, to find your voice. I mean, I think there's a first it has to start with sort of knowing like in, in your heart of hearts, like knowing what you need to do to take care of yourself. Like when you really understand, like uh, um, I need to eat in a certain way in order to protect myself from being an out of control maniac with food. Um, it's not like a. Um, it's not like the same as like I'm breaking my diet. I mean, when you understand, like I have a problem that is just so bad, and once you get on track and you realize, like I can live my life sanely with food, and you just want to do everything that you can to protect it. And if that means that you have to go a little extra in social situations, you know, there's ways that you have to learn how to deal with the conversations to just try to, I recommend people just kind of stay low key. Like I know I don't, I try not to call attention to myself. I just quietly do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And if that means like I'm going to a catered affair, I might call the place myself and see see what they're serving and ask them like if they're making like something that's not really going to work for me I'll ask them to put something aside like if they're making some kind of breaded fried chicken thing can you just put a piece of plain chicken in there for me and you know I I mean I always there's always a way people are always willing to work with you and you know if people all want to go out to eat and they're all looking at going somewhere unhealthy and there's not even one thing on the menu that's going to be working, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm either going to have to say, well, that's not going to work for me and hope that my friends will be nice enough to make a change or I eat ahead and show up later. But, you know, I don't need to give up my, my sanity and my recovery with food to please the people around me uh, and then have it could take a year to get it back. Mm-hmm. Knowing that that's how, you know, it's like you would never tell an alcoholic, oh, well, have a drink so you won't look funny at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to look out of it, God forbid. Right, right. Look socially stupid. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, you know, but I just try to, you know, I think because I'm very confident that this is what I need to do, I don't worry what anybody else thinks. I just do what I need to do. And I think that once I work with my clients, as they gain confidence and they realize their freedom because, you know, in the beginning it could feel like, Oh, this is so um, weird. Like to, to do their first um, beach trip without eating all the junk food on the boardwalk. And, and then they come back and they're like, yeah, you know what? It felt a little funny at first, but like, I feel great. I'm so glad I didn't come home 10 pounds heavier (laughs) and I'm still on track. And I, I found a million other ways to enjoy my beach trip, and I didn't have to feel sick and sorry. And, all, and then when you do that enough times, after a while, you grow this confidence in what you're doing, and you start realizing 
that you don't need to keep doing those old things mm-hmm. that, just because everybody else is. So, Rona, a listener named April said, isn't alcohol a type of sugar? And then she yeah. went on to say that, you know, your cravings, uh, are they, is that your body's way of telling you it has a need, a need for certain kinds of nutrients? And she said that I do a lot of blended vegetables and fruits, and she said I'm, I end up not hungry and I'm hydrated and more satiated. Because she's having what she, you need. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's, that's that's the whole point of, um, you know, you have to have what you need. I mean, and that's one of the problems with dieting is people are restricting themselves and not getting what they need. And then they end up using food addictively to make up for what they didn't have during the restricting. Mm-hmm. So what about enjoying certain tastes and flavors and spices? And, you know, it's really nice to have like Indian food every couple of weeks because you, you like the hot spice. And so you can still f- find ways to use those spices and still eat healthy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many things that you can eat. Um, okay. That, yeah. All right. Here's another question. Um, Cause we talked about gluttony and the, that is a sin. Can anorexia be considered a sin too? Well, any, I mean, anything that's destructive to the body is, you know, obviously our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, I, I mean, I get, you know, I feel a little bit challenged by the sin uh, word because I feel like people are actually, um, it's more of an illness than it is. It, it, like a, the sin is that we, if we don't take care of a problem, like, and leave ourselves ill. Um, I don't think anybody who has anorexia or bulimia is purposely trying to stay like that. I don't think, I think we slip into trouble and we need help. And I don't, I don't think it's quite the same as like, I'm purposely like rebelliously. I think we just need help. And I, I hate, like, I don't want people to feel guilty about it. I think people need to feel the grace of God in order to recover, in order for the shame of it to go away. And so, you know, the last thing I would ever want anyone to do is walk away from hearing me talk about eating disorders and feel like I've now, now they're now more ashamed um, because there's already so much shame going on from being in this trouble. But of course, um, you know, we, you need God's help. Like it's not God's will to keep starving or to be binging in any way. Mm-hmm. He wants us to be healthy. So I think that God's best is where we should be aiming. Mm-hmm. Now we brought this up already a little bit, Rona, but another listener chimed in with, what do we do when we've been hurt by others, but not allowed to confront them over it? And it affects our eating. It's called stuffing your feelings. That's, hurt by others. Yeah. But you're not allowed to confront them, so you're living in this pain, and so you start to eat, and you're calling it, I'm just stuffing my feelings. Yeah. Self-medication. Well, I mean, that's, medication. yeah, Self-medication. that's huge. Yeah. yeah Say more about that huge. if you would. Well, I, I mean, I think stuffing feelings is probably one of the number one food triggers. That's my first book, Food Triggers. But I think stuffing feelings is one of the number one, it's probably one of the things that I hear the most when people are faced with well, if I'm not eating, what do I do when my feelings come that I'm using, you know, because we're using food. People don't become compulsive eaters for no reason. It's not just because it tastes good. 
it's being used to escape and it's used, being used to numb our feelings. And we find out pretty young with food that it works to create some sort of comfort and some sort of way out of whatever is, you know, whether we're, whatever we're trying to avoid or get away from. And it, it, it works, except for obviously it turns on us. I mean, you get the comfort for the moment, but then now you have a new problem because you feel really crappy. And that's not a good solution if mm-hmm. that's if it ends you with a now you've added a problem to your problem so the solution ends up becoming the problem so you know obviously finding another way of of expressing feelings i personally i know this is easier said than done but with regards to stuffing i think again once you have a food plan and you've made a commitment to i only eat what i plan then when the feelings the hurt feelings by others come which they will cuz life is full of those and it's not just hurts from others. It's a million things. Like there's a million reasons to stuff your feelings. That never ends. That's why I stay in business because when people stop overeating, they still have a million reasons to eat. That never stops. Mm-hmm. So when you have our face with your feelings, then you know that's where we use a journal. That's where we use our friends for support. That's where we turn to God and cry to him and let him know all about it. Mm-hmm. We take walks. We talk to God in our prayer walks. We talk to God in our prayer time, and and you some and we let them let the feelings come and go like a wave, you know. And with regards to those people who hurt us, I mean, and one thing I learned in my life that God can heal what people won't. Sometimes people won't do the right thing, and we can't get them to do the right thing, but God can still bring healing, and we can get the healing in Him. But it, it's, there's no answer in the food. That's not the solution. There's that All that is is a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And it's a bad one because it's, cre- it's a whole other problem. So it's just a poor solution. But it is a solution. And I think we need to understand that. It's, there's a reason why we eat. Everyone has a reason. And we have to kind of find another answer to, to all the reasons. Mm-hmm. Rona, what about uh, pairings? If you have an activity that you pair with food, like People oh, that yeah. go to movies and they go, well, of course I'm going to get the jumbo bag of popcorn with, with uh, half a cup of buttered grease on it. Or I go to the baseball yeah. game and of course I'm going to get two hot dogs and a big dip because that's what you do at a baseball game. Or that's what you do at a movie. So you've got all these pairings that you go on. How do you address some of those? Yeah, good question. Well, you know, a lot of times I think in the beginning it's important. It's You've got to kind of break some of those associations and that may mean that you, um, well, I mean, to be honest, when I started to quit, I had to actually not watch t- TV alone because I always eat in front of the TV by mm, myself. There you go. There's another example. So I literally, I basically quit watching. I know this sounds so strange, but I had to quit watching TV alone. I pretty much put myself on a, on a TV schedule. So I was only like, I, I didn't take the TV away completely for myself, but I, I had like a TV night where I was allowed to watch for like two hours, and, but I had to be with somebody. And then um, I could watch like, so I think I had like a movie night and then a TV night, but I couldn't be alone in front of a TV. And I couldn't just watch excessively like all afternoon and evening because that was totally a recipe for disaster. So sometimes I do think something like that can break an association just when people are into these weird habits where food is paired. Um, it, it does get, it is a little strange, some, some of these associations. I, mean, I think a lot of it is just the first time, like going to the movies, 
bring that bottle of water and just, you know, say your prayers and write it out. And after a while, you're like, you, you don't even remember that you ever used to eat in the movie. It's just <laughs> weird. It's like then you start realizing you don't want the junk food anymore because you are free and you're happy and you don't want to trash your body anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what happens after you get healthy and you've been healthy long enough. You change your taste buds change, your body feels good, and you wouldn't trade it for the stupid greasy popcorn at the movies. And that's what happens to people after you've done it a while. It's just those first rounds of doing it and you just feel so awkward sitting there and you're like, what's wrong? I have nothing in my hands. I feel like I don't, I, this is so weird. Um, but, you, you know, I mean, you could do needlepoint. I, uh, I, I had a client who was binging. Uh, she had a, a little baby and her husband was working at night and she never had an eating problem before. But now she was like home alone in the evenings with a baby sleeping and she just was eating every night. And it was such a simple fix. Like she started doing needlework and she was just bored. She was eating out of boredom. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I don't even think she didn't even really have a food addiction. She was just bored. But the, I've heard that before. Sometimes it's just fix the boredom problem. Wow. Do something else. Yeah. Another question from a listener. Do you have any ideas or resources, probably your book, for someone afraid of food? Only certain foods are safe. Yeah. Well, that's definitely disordered eating. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do think a support group is is helpful to have someone to help. I, I don't think you, this is the kind of thing sometimes even treatment, because if it's really bad, um, sometimes going to a treatment center where you have to practice eating right together with a with this in a supportive environment. I mean, it just really depends on how bad it gets, because mm-hmm. that can that can be sort of an. an I think sometimes anxiety um, issues can kind of come out in that way, and sometimes people also from the diet culture and uh, some of the diets we go on they they get up in our head like, oh, you can't have fat or you can't have carbs or, um, you know, uh, how many calories? And then you start getting scared of food. And and that's how really anorexia develops and other like disordered eating. So, you know, I think having help from others is super important so that you have some accountability around um, changing that. I've seen with my with my clients over the years, though, that sometimes a person really does need to go residential if they really can't break out of it, if it's that bad. Like, I, you know, somebody's only eating chicken and broccoli, mm-hmm. and that's all they're eating. Um, going away to a treatment center, they will help you um, expand um, and find uh, get get that whole array of all the you know, the food's back in. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just trying one thing after a little trial and error, you know, just kind of realizing this is not healthy. And, and people find out actually they're amazed. They don't gain weight necessarily. I, most people don't gain weight. Um, and I think that's the fear. It's like, if I, if I have a carb, I'm going to gain 20 pounds. I have had so many people shocked to realize they can eat the fat and the carbs if they're if they're only eating healthy food, they don't get fat. Mm-hmm. It's just the reason they get fat is because of the junk, the processed food and the junk food. If you eat a well-balanced way of eating, you can eat all the food. Yeah, it's, nice. It's, That's it's, encouraging. It's, but yes. And so when it's just eating in the structure and not binging and not eating junk food. Yeah. And then people realize, I can eat so much more food than I realize. 
and I don't have to starve myself yeah. and refrain from all these delicious things. We'll take so. a little break. We're talking to Dr. Rona Epstein. Her book is called Satisfied, a 90-day spiritual journey toward food freedom, also with a workbook as well. We'll be right back. Dr. Rona Epstein, her book is Satisfied, A 90-Day Spiritual Journey Toward Food Freedom, Freedom, and there's also a workbook, so you can get right into this uh, journal, and you can get your steps towards food freedom if you struggle with food addictions of any kind. And Rona, I was just thinking of, during the break, you see a lot of commercials on TV, or you see things where everything looks to be like a quick fix. You know, if you can't lose belly fat, it's because you're insulin resistant. And all you got to do is this, and then you're fine. Or you just have a little bit of apple cider vinegar, and you're going to be good. They don't say anything about exercise or moving or any anything well-balanced. <laughs> well, right. Or ch- or changing your the fact that you're using food as a drug to cope with all of your feelings. I mean, the you know, the, the truth is people, what I do with people is help them look at their real relationship with food and why they're using it and try to really have a real change, not one of these fast fixes. And I mean, that this is, this is a, an industry that's just, I mean, people are making buku bucks oh, yeah. over this. I mean, doctors nowadays, they're just, uh, surgeries are, they don't, they don't even realize. I, I, sometimes I just think I just can't even believe how many people have come into my office who have been told by their doctors that they should just go have surgery, and they don't even talk to them about the fact that they can't stop eating. If they get a surgery, they think it's a magical cure. But if they can't stop eating, they're just going to eat right back the weight that they lose from the sur- surgery. Is only going to be a, another quick fix. So these quick fixes, that's all they are. It's just temporary Band-Aids that give people a false hope that they're going to now have their magical body weight changed. And unless they have a real heartfelt change, this is just going to be another disappointment, another road uh, to, to feeling hopeless and hitting another wall. So when you get involved, Rona, with your book and this workbook, it, you've got so many great tips and so many great suggestions. And when you find yourselves making a, having a bad day, um, how do you, how do you put that into perspective? If you say, well, I'm kind of, I've kind of violated my food plan today and now what's the point? Well, I think it's really important if a person has a struggle with food and they, and if they recover and they have a, um, a, a difficult time. I mean, I really think that it's important to just have grace. There's no shame, no, gr- you know, just grace. Get up, wipe off your knees, get back up. Just be, try to learn from mistakes. Use all mistakes as opportunities for learning. 
if a person is like, you know, in the process of figuring out what's their alcoholic foods, what are their drug foods, or what are their triggers, or, you know, there's some always, every client that I work with, when they come to me and they say, like, I blew it, we go over it, what happened? And there's always a story. Something happened, it's either some emotional story or some poor planning or um, not really having the courage to kind of do the right thing because of social situations. And we have to kind of go back over it and say, well, if you were in, if you were able to do that day over, what could you have done differently? And as we do that, eventually we start doing the right thing, but always with self-compassion because eventually, even if you fall a hundred times or a thousand times or years worth of falling, eventually, if you don't quit, a person will, will start to, do it and it will and the change will come and but i think because this problem's usually ancient most people have these problems for years and years and years so it doesn't it's not usually magical it doesn't usually change overnight although some people you know once they figure out oh i once they understand like i've had people walk in my office like i never knew i was addicted to sugar they get off it and the cravings go away and and they're just good they just don't go back. Mm-hmm. Those are less complicated people, of course. Yeah. I think it's wrong that you have pixie sticks in your office. <laughs> no pixie sticks no. in my office. <laughs> what, about, what about certain diet ideas like a keto diet? K-E-T-O. What is yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, it, normal people who don't have eating disorders can do diets. Um, People who have eating disorders, that's very unsafe behavior. I mean, I think, you know, I try to kind of stay away from, um, I don't really want to say like, I think keto is sort of more high protein, lower carbon. A lot of the food addiction people are more in that direction towards like lower carb because a lot of food addict people have carb problems. Um, But I think the there are healthy carbs that are really important for a person for balancing. And um, the problem with any diet, again, if you're going to go on something and off something, if you're going to restrict things and then you're, you're going to feel deprived, that's not good. I mean, um, I know that I, some people think that's contradictory if I say, well, I am restricting sugar, but sugar is really not a food group (laughs) and it's not something that you need for nourishment. Yeah. Um, but when you start, uh, the, you know, the question for about keto is can any food plan, like, can you live on that? Is that a sustainable way of eating? Because if you're going to go on it and then go off of it, I would stay away from it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about the all important, uh, hydration. We hear about water all the time. Give us some coaching on that. Uh, well, I mean, definitely I agree water all the time. (laughs) That's. That's really important. It's super helpful. I think, you know, unquestionably from a health perspective, everybody says it. It's true. And I I think it keeps you full, too. So I I drink tons of water. I think it's really important. It um, makes you feel better. It makes your body work better. So, yeah, water. Is it a good little trick you can do if you go to a restaurant and you're hungry to just start drinking as much water as you can before the food arrives? Is that that an okay (laughs) idea? Because that will create some sense of fullness? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that. But I, I mean, in 
in the recovery world, you you really need to try to do your best you can not to get hungry. Okay. I mean, eating in a way so that you're always getting all of your nourishment in your meals and you, you kind of pace yourself so that you don't go to a restaurant and end up really hungry. You have to kind of really think that through in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so, you know, making sure all of your meals give you everything that you need. Um, I, I, you know, I, so I don't think it's good to go hungry, but yeah, water certainly is a placeholder if you need to. Yeah. Ron, it's been a delight having you on. I want to let my listeners know once again, the workbook we've been chatting about today is called the satisfied workbook, a spiritual guide to recovery and food freedom. Dr. Rona Epstein has been my guest. You can go to drrona.com, R-H-O-N-A, drrona.com. Thanks so much for doing the show, Rona. Well, thank you for having me. Yep. It's wonderful spending time have with a you. Gr- and thank have you. a great dinner and a great evening. <laughs> thank you, you right. too. God All bless. Right. Yep. Okay. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to everybody. Patrick, who started the show off, always getting things off on a lighter foot on Monday. And then the Monday afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles and Rosie, and then uh, Dr. Rona Epstein. If you missed any of the show, you can always head to MyFaithRadio.com. We have a show page there. You can just listen to the podcast, or if you're listening to the podcast now and it's nighttime, nice to be with you. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.